name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee again this morning, hour of grace, for this new and beautiful day which Thou hast granted unto us, in which we can enjoy the warmth of Thy sunshine and enjoy that which we see and behold with our eyes all the beauties of nature that thou hast also created and made and once again renewed and refreshed before us. After long winters of sleep, in the sleep of death, thou hast revived again unto life and unto new vigor and strength. And all of this we know glorifies thy name and also reminds us how we too can be revived from the death of sin, revived unto a new life and spirit through thy gracious work, where sin and iniquity that consumes man <clears throat> and slays the soul is washed away and conquered through the power of the blood of Jesus and we are cleansed and made whole again. We thank thee this morning for that grace and blessing that thou dost, just as thy power is revealed in all of nature to create anew and to renew from death and bring unto life, so is thy power yet the same today. As in days of yore when thou was able to bring to life those who are sleeping in the death of sin <clears throat> and revive and strengthen again. And so may it be that thy power might still be manifest in our midst, that reviving and life-giving power that comes through thy spirit and the blood of Christ that cleanses and washes away sin, so that those who are yet in, the, in their iniquity and sin, separated from thee, and destined to eternal condemnation, might be delivered, might be set free, cleansed and washed and made whole through the blood of Christ, and become thy children and heirs of eternal life, <clears throat> even as it happened so long ago on that first Pentecost when 3,000 souls were kindled in their hearts and souls to consider their own condition and to ask and beginning to seek that which would deliver them and set them free from the bondage and shackles of sin. So may it be yet renewed today that those who are in the land of unbelief and sin might be touched with thy word and prodded by thy spirit and so awakened and led unto unto repentance and unto faith, and thus unto life and salvation through the merits of Jesus Christ our Lord. So bless us this morning and grant that we might once again feed upon thy word, which is a life-giving substance unto us, and which strengthens our weary hearts and souls and refreshes us and gives us new courage and hope to continue on the way of life. And so may it be <clears throat> with all who are in, in the listening ear, among those who listen to thy word, both here present and those who are not here physically present, but by means of the telephone also can listen and partake that thy blessing might be with all thy children this morning. And not only those who gather here, but wherever thy children are assembled, gathered together that they might be blessed and strengthened by thy word. And drawn to that oneness and unity that is in Christ Jesus, our Savior, in whom we have hope and life and salvation. Hear us, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our next song, number 415. and peace of God our Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be multiplied unto us this morning hour of grace and may it continue to abide with us and in our hearts as long as we journey here until faith becomes sight and hope attainment and we are then safe and secure finally in that eternal land of peace. Today, as many of you know, is Pentecost Sunday. It is a special day in the church year. And it is a day that <clears throat> the disciples were gathered and we know that outpouring of the Holy Spirit the two, two uh, great matters happen on that Pentecost. One is that God's Spirit was poured out upon the believers who were gathered there according to the promise of God in Jerusalem and waiting for the outpouring of the Spirit as had been promised unto them, as Jesus says, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. <clears throat> and so it was that 
God's Spirit was poured out upon them in such manifestation that they they received it in cloven tongues of fire that sat upon each one. And it also caused them to to loose their tongues and to begin to speak in, in all the languages that were present there in Jerusalem at that time. And they preached the word of God. And the other amazing thing is that there were 3,000 souls that repented on that day. <clears throat> the word Pentecost means comes from the word 50, pente meaning 50, and it is therefore 50 days from the time that Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. And 40 days after he arose was Ascension Day. That was a week ago Thursday. And we had 10 days to that. We are at, at Pentecost Sunday and 50 days have transpired from that time. <clears throat> and so it was. It is called Pentecost and also known as Whit Sunday. And we shall read then <clears throat> the account of, of Pentecost being it is very fitting and appropriate on this day to read that account that is a rather lengthy account in the second chapter of Acts and we're going to read it all however <clears throat> it is not the intention to go verse by verse through this matter but more or less to skim through it and touch upon various places that we find in, in this account. But to set the, set the story of Pentecost as it happened the first time that we might consider it and <clears throat> that we might derive from it also whatsoever God would want to give unto us. We read then chapter two of Acts beginning in Jesus' name. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad and the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language, they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers, strangers in, <clears throat> of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. They were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. 
And on my hand, my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, and thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the disciples, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had, see, had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Amen. And let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, my Lord and my Redeemer. <clears throat> this is a very interesting account unto us concerning Pentecost, the first outpouring of the Spirit of God according to God's promise. And it was in Jerusalem that it took place when the disciples were assembled together and by this time there were also others with them that were believers. But especially upon the twelve disciples whom the Lord had chosen and <clears throat> or there were 11 
actually because Judas Iscariot was not among them and they later replaced him with another Matthias and <clears throat> but there were 11 left of the original apostles as well as then others no doubt who believed and were followers of Christ and it tells us here that they were gathered together in all with one accord in one place And while they were there gathered together in one accord and in one place, then the Spirit of God came upon them. It came in the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting, the sound of the mighty rushing wind. And that being followed immediately by the appearance of cloven tongues of fire, that sat upon each of them. <clears throat> and so they were filled with the Holy Ghost and endued with power from on high. Jesus had previously with his disciples, he had gathered them together and we remember on, on the first resurrection day when he was, when he met the disciples behind locked doors, he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sin they remit, they are remitted unto them. Whosoever sin they retain, they are retained. But he also did exhort them to tarry in Jerusalem. Even though he had sent them, he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel in my name. And where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. But he also exhorted them to tarry in Jerusalem until ye are endued with power from on high. They had received the, the commission to preach repentance and remission of sins. And the breathing of, of, the, of Christ upon them indicating by what power they were to preach. That is by the power of the Holy Spirit. But they were not yet ready to go and preach unto all the world. They had some, some erroneous thoughts yet concerning the kingdom of Christ, and one of them was that it was upon this earth, and will, Lord, wilt thou at this time establish thy kingdom. And there were still aspirations of greatness among them. But all this was removed by the time Pentecost came. And on Pentecost, when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, no longer were they looking for an earthly kingdom but they were enlightened also by the Spirit of God to begin to preach the Word of God and manifest the power of God and glorify the name of Christ and not their own names. So they began to, to preach. An amazing thing happened also that these, these men which were Galileans and they spoke one language were now filled with the Holy Ghost, and the Spirit gave them utterance to speak in other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance, and there were, there's a list of all the Jews that were dwell, dwelling in Jerusalem at that time, and <clears throat> from every nation under heaven, And the noise, it was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because they, that every man heard them speak in his own language. This was a true speaking in tongues, not the vain babbling that no one can understand that uh, happens often today. In some churches it is especially, it is, it is emphasized and unless you speak in tongues you are, you are not really fully of the Holy Ghost but being full of the Holy Ghost does not make you babble in a language that no one can understand but the speaking in tongues is that ability to speak in the various languages that is there and anyone who can speak more than one language and some can speak several languages certainly has a gift of speaking in tongues but it is not for every man and neither is it necessary for all 
But most important that we speak the language of Canaan, that is, the new Canaan, the language of God, of God's children. It is a new tongue that is given unto us to speak the things of God. But these men were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to preach unto all those people that were there and which amazed them. They were amazed and marveled, saying, Are not these Galileans? And how is it that we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And they were from different parts. In those days, languages varied much more than they do today. For instance, English, you can speak almost anywhere in the world, travel about, and someone there will understand and many people it is a it is a as universal a language as there can be and also French is known in many parts of the world but here in those days just traveling a short distance already changed the language because people did not did not travel about and, and locate in various places as they do today. And so when there was a different group of people, they spoke a different language. And even though they were Jews, there were many different languages among them. There were Medes and, and Elamites and Parthians and from Mesopotamia and Judea and, and so on, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, those same places that Peter, in addressing his epistle later on writes to those same Jews that now were converted at this time. Peter writes an epistle unto them, exhorting them to continue in that faith that they had received. Now here they hear in their own language. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. These men were not speaking about themselves, then were they? They were speaking the wonderful works of God. The things of God. It is not all recorded here what they said. But nonetheless, they were certainly glorifying God and speaking of the works of God to the marvel and the amazement of those people. And they said, what meaneth this? What is all this about? How can this be possible? Some great thing was happening before them that they witnessed, being that these were uneducated men. They were not men of letters, but they were just simple fishermen, and they were Galileans. And now they speak a different language and tongue, but there were also mockers among them. As there always are mockers and those who resist the, the work of God, in whom the, the enemy of the soul has placed an enmity, a spiritual enmity and hatred about living Christianity. And there was also mockers in those days, saying these men are full of new wine. But there are, there are two improbabilities in, in this statement. They are full of new wine. It is the first, or it's the only place in the Bible where it says new wine. Wine is spoken of in many places, but new wine particularly is not fermented wine. It is unfermented wine. It is new wine. It is sweet wine. And it is the kind of wine that was drunken in those days, generally. It is also the same kind of wine that Jesus changed the water from on, on the first miracle in the wedding of Canaan and Galilee, was not an intoxicating wine. New wine is not intoxicating. And because it is, it is fresh, freshly squeezed from the grapes and, and drunken as that, it is also called must, M-U-S-T. And that was commonly the drink among the Palestinians, and it is even yet today commonly drunk. Only, only intoxicating wine, which is alcoholic, is not natural, 
but it is made that way. Alcohol being not a natural process, but it is from, from an unnatural process, it is actually rotting of the, of the wine, a decay of it that, that causes the alcohol. And, and therefore it is not intoxicating. It was impossible for them to be intoxicated from new wine. And another amazing thing is that this intoxication, as, as they said, caused these men to be suddenly able to speak different languages in such clearness and, and uh, truth that all these people wondered that they heard in the language they were born. We know what alcohol does. It doesn't clarify a person's speech. It slurs them and makes their minds mixed up. They themselves think they are talking clearly and coherently, but they are not. Often, the, the more drunken a person is, the less are you able to understand their language. And certainly, alcohol doesn't uh, teach people to speak various languages, as the men, these men accuse. But such is the, is the blindness in the spiritual hatred that is in the hearts of many. They say even foolish things, and things that cannot possibly be so. As these mockers said, two impossibilities that these men were drunk because it was new wine that they had drunk, and therefore clearly stated that it was not an intoxicating wine, even though there are two types of wine spoken of in the Bible. Some places it is spoken of as, as a alcoholic, beverage and that which causes men to be drunken and do things that are contrary to God and certainly it is forbidden but the other is used as a drink it is the new wine that was most often drunk among them but also another thing that we see later Peter standing up and clarifying this matter says unto them lifted up his voice and said ye men of Galilee and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. These men are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Another improbability. Jews did not eat or drink before the third hour of the day, because that was when the morning sacrifices were made. And it was not until after the third hour of the day that they would normally eat and drink anything. It was... It was therefore another improbability that these men were drunken being so early in the day. It is not even, it is but the third hour of the day. It is like nine o'clock in the morning. The Jewish day is broken into four parts, three hour increments. The first uh, part of the day from six to nine and the second is from nine, to 12 and then from 12 to 3 and 3 to 6 and then night from then on also broken into four watches in the night from 12 to 3 and 3 to 6 or 3 or 2 watches rather and so it is that they were certainly not drunken and Peter sets the matter straight that it is impossible what you say but on the other hand, he tells the matter what really is happening here. He says, is they, they are not drunken as ye see, but the third of the day. But it is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. It's a fulfillment of prophecy way back in the Old Testament. And they were familiar with the words of the prophet who said that it's, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
This is what Peter says was happening. It's a fulfillment of prophecy before your very eyes and in your very ears. And then he says, ye men of Israel, hear these words. And now he begins to, to speak to them, to preach to them of what their heart's condition is and what their need is. Because that Jesus whom God has sent, he said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, you yourselves have accepted him and approved him as a man of God by miracles and wonders and signs that you have witnessed and seen, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. First he says that you have acknowledged Jesus you have said that he is a man of God because of no man can do the miracles which he did except God be with him. But also, he says, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Not only this, but you have taken this Jesus. And God, in the foreknowledge of God, Already see how enlightened Peter and the disciples were being filled with the Holy Ghost. That they understood the workings of God already. Clearly understood what, what had happened and why Jesus had suffered and died. It was so determined by the foreknowledge and counsel of God that it should so happen. But through their hands that he was crucified and slain, whom God also raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Not only did Jesus die being crucified, but he also rose, he said on the third day, victorious over all, and death was not able to hold him. And referring to David then also, he says, David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he's on my right hand that I should not be moved. David was a, a renowned figure in their eyes, highly esteemed among all the Jews, King David, even to this day. And certainly they have only good to say of David. But now Peter says how even David acknowledged Christ and spoke of him and said, Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad, moreover also my flesh rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, or wilt suffer thine holy one to seek corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David. He's both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Peter clearly makes known how David also prophesied of Christ, that he would raise up Christ of his loins. Jesus, who was called Christ, that he would sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake, of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Jesus did not, though he died and was laid into the grave, his body did not begin to decay immediately as man's does. Normally, when a person dies, the processes of decay began to take place immediately. It is only the embalming process that hinders that long enough for us to have a funeral and lay that body into the grave before it begins to become manifest in that body. But there's no way possible that it can be, can be hindered completely. It, even though mummies are found today in, in Egypt that are preserved amazingly in some way, but they certainly are they have seen corruption. They have, they have begun to decay. But Jesus did not. He arose on the third day. He has no reason to suffer the curse that was placed upon 
Adam as far as as him having to die. For out of the dust wast thou taken, and unto dust shalt thou return. That was because of sin, the punishment that came upon Adam and Eve. But Jesus did not bear that punishment. He needed only to die. That was sufficient. He needed not return unto the dust his body, for that did not uh, fulfill any promise other than that death was now completely uh, conquered when Jesus died. And immediately when he died, then his humiliation ended and his exaltation began. And he descended into hell not in a humiliated form, not to suffer, but he descended there to preach unto those who were in who were in captivity, those souls, as the scripture tells us, who believed not before, going far back is the time of Noah, who believed not in the time of Noah even, when the first world was destroyed by flood. So it was that he went as a conqueror into hell. And from then on, when he arose again, he rose victorious over sin, death, hell, and the power of the devil. And all of this, Jesus accomplished, and, and Peter making known this also on the day of Pentecost. He says, Jesus has God raised up whereof ye all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. This is the work of Christ, Peter says. It is not anything else, but it is the work of the same Christ. He has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he said himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand. Here he is referring to Christ, whom David uh, referred to when he said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now upon hearing this, these words from Peter, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Their consciences were awakened, but they didn't know where to turn, what to do. What will you tell us? What must we do? We notice one thing that the preaching of Peter and the disciples was not a preaching of a formula of how you become a Christian. Like often today is, the preaching of the gospel of Christ is no no more than a preaching of a formula of how a person becomes a Christian. And all the necessary and important parts of that formula are there that we preach the gospel of Christ, the love of God, and how a person should repent, and how we have this power and authority to, through the laying on of hands to forgive sins and so on. None of this explanation was sentences anymore today. Virtually none of all the preaching that there is. So few repentances anymore today because there is so little of this preaching of repentance that happened on the day of Pentecost where hearts and consciences were pricked by the word of God, condemned as murderers because they have crucified Christ, nailed him to the tree with their sins and their transgressions. Where is there this kind of preaching today, even in this, in the realms of living Christianity, that convicts the hearts of men of their sin and of their unbelief and of their need of repentance? More often it is an explanation of this kind of a formula and it doesn't offend anyone. And those who preach repentance to the awakening of the consciences, they are disdained, they are looked down upon, they have no place of acceptance, even in this so-called Christianity. They are not highly esteemed or accepted, but they do the work of awakening the souls. 
and fortunate for those who preach the gospel of Christ that they are those who are awakened by the word of God, by some who preach repentance and who gain no honor or glory for it. But all the honor and glory goes upon those who have the, the privilege of blessing them with the forgiveness of sins who are awakened and begin to ask like these 3,000 did on the day of Pentecost. They had no knowledge what they must do until their consciences were awakened and they were convicted of their sins, they knew one thing, they were guilty of murdering Christ, and they were condemned. But now, what to do? What must we do? Then they were told, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, the advice is given what to do. It is properly applied when it is it is in the right place then it is also rightly received and it has benef it has a benefit among those who hear it who question in their hearts what must i do to be saved how many are there today who ask what must i do to be saved how can i be freed from my sins how can I be delivered from this condemnation and gnawing conscience that condemns me, my many sins that trouble me? How can I be freed from them? Oh, what a blessed question. If we could hear it more often in the realms of Christianity, it would be so, so pleasing and enjoyable to proclaim unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, unto the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to them that are far off and as many as our Lord God shall call. Repent and be baptized. This baptism that is here is understood by some as not being water baptism, but it is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But that's not true. It is not anything but water baptism. Just like Jesus says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But notice what goes first. Repent and be baptized. Baptism does not help those who do not repent of their sins who are yet in their unbelief. Because it requires faith. Faith on the part of the recipient. And repentance implies that a person repents of his sins and hears them forgiven, they are washed away in the blood of Christ, and he believes that it is forgiven. That is all in repentance. And then such a soul is baptized also, having not been baptized before, as they were. Baptism was new in the days of the apostles. There were many who were unbaptized and <clears throat> never heard of it, and therefore they were told to repent and be baptized, every one of you, unto the remission of sins. It seems like this matter of baptism, it has been so downplayed and so de-emphasized in this Christianity that it has been made virtually of no effect at all. And that is wrong also. Baptism is not a savior or a redeemer, but it has its proper and important place in the doctrine of Christ. But as always has happened, when some issue becomes uh, highly extolled or emphasized, then the counter uh, work diminishes it, and so it goes. The pendulum swings in the opposite direction, and it, so it has been so downplayed in this Christianity today that places like this, they're understood as not even being water baptism. Why do we then baptize our children? Is it any wonder that some no longer baptize their children or find it any importance? It is important. Jesus says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It's that important. But faith is the important matter. And therefore, he says, He that believeth not shall be damned. Whether he is baptized or not, he shall be damned for lack of faith. Faith is the important thing. And then baptism will have its proper place accordingly. And so they also repented and were baptized. 
Many other words did he testify and exhort, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They that gladly received his word, what is it other than that they, they, un, they did that which they were told, to repent and receive the gospel of Christ. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and of prayers. They continued steadfastly. That was important in those days. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in prayers. And we see what kind of a congregation it was. Fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common. This was perhaps the, the clearest example of Christianity put into practice in those days. I don't believe it has ever been so clearly presented and, and exemplified among Christians as it was then in the day of Pentecost. Not to say that there are no Christians today, but in those days they were so free from the worldly goods that we seem to gather and hoard for ourselves and are so important in our lives they were of so little importance in, in their hearts and minds that they had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. There was one matter that was of utmost importance unto them, and that was the matter of their faith, their salvation, their Christianity. But unfortunately, that didn't last long either, because the devil... The devil was there as well and, and soon we see in the dawning days of the New Testament that there, there was corruption came in, false and erroneous doctrines and teachings and, and breakaways and splits and that's why we have today the, the church is divided and the congregations are split and separated. Christians can no longer get along together as they were then. We're all Christians, but we all seem to be going into a heaven full of partitions where we don't see or have to associate with one another. That's the way it would seem in our minds and in, in the way we practice and, and enjoy our Christianity here on this earth. But that's when it was pure as pure as it could possibly be on the face of this earth when they were all in one accord and were all one mind there was no reason to have any differences among them they had one Christ one Savior one Redeemer and that was the only important matter unto them and if it were with us also then we would be much like them we would set our affection on things above not on things on the earth and there would be more love in our actions than in our deeds. We can say we have love for everybody, but we can't some, somehow seem to get along, even with Christians. We can't go into the same church or sit together among uh, with others together. We have to separate and divide. And so it has been in the course of this Christianity for generations already. All of this, of course, is the work of the devil we see here what God's Spirit accomplished on the day of Pentecost. But later, and we see through the history even of the book of Acts and through the epistles that were written unto these congregations later, what the spirit of the devil was able to work and bring about. Never anything good. And so it always is. They continued daily with one accord and in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. What a beautiful congregation it was. Too bad the devil was so envious of it that he couldn't leave it alone. He had to go and spoil it, as he always does spoil the work of God. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. May that continue in our day also, to the glory and praise of God and to the joy and gladness of God's children. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
our next song, number 434. Sister, believe all forgiven in Jesus' name and precious and holy blood and be of good cheer. <laughs> 